Wednesday, July 25th, 2012, episode number 10 of Football Nation Today with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast hosted by Alex Reamer, available on footballnation.com and via download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcasts and the other shows available at footballnation.com and the iTunes store. If you have yet to do so, we have an action-packed show for you this week, which makes it no different than any other weeks here at Football Nation Today. But this week is especially action-packed because NFL training camps are opening across the country right here in New England. The Patriots open up camp tomorrow on Thursday. NFL teams in all other cities follow opening camps later this week, over the weekend, and in some cases early next week as well. So over the next several days, players will begin trickling on in to NFL training camps. It is a very exciting time of year especially in cities like here in Boston, where the baseball team has been quite underwhelming thus far this summer, gives us sports fans another team to set our sights towards. And here in New England, of course, the Patriots are eyeing yet another run at the Super Bowl. It is the Football Nation Today podcast. I have a big, big show for you today. Coming up next in our first down segment, we will preview the NFL training camps and begin to preview the 2012 NFL season because it's just about that time of year again. Jeff Sperber, of course, is the well-read contributor to FootballNation.com. He also has his own website, JeffSperber.com. Jeff, of course, has been doing the divisional super charts all offseason long. He culminated that project this past week with the NFL 2012 season preview super chart. So I spoke to Jeff in the first down segment at length about his most recent NFL super chart, some of his thoughts on the upcoming training camps, and of course his thoughts on the upcoming NFL season. So looking forward to playing my conversation with Jeff Sperber, welcoming him back to the program. Then in the second down segment, I promise you, it is the final week, at least for a long time. We will discuss the Penn State story, but the NCAA handed down their sanctions to Penn State earlier this week. You all know the details by now. I have been calling for the death penalty the past several weeks on this show. So what are my thoughts on the fact that the death penalty was not levied upon Penn State? Are these sanctions worse? I'll give you my quick thoughts on that in our second down segment where we talk about an off-field football story. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown talking about a couple of stories from whether or not training camp is overrated to Mike Tomlin's contract being extended by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Training camps are beginning across the league over the next several days, which means players will once again have structure in their lives. Does that mean that the arrest numbers will dwindle considerably? We'll talk about the 31 NFL arrests that occurred over the offseason and what, if anything, the league can do can start to stop all of that behavior from some of their players. As always, if you want to contribute to the show, feel free to drop me a line. As the kids say on the email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. But if you want to be really cool, you can also follow me and my daily nonsense on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. And as always, feel free to leave a comment in the show comment thread on the footballnation.com website. That's a great form to communicate with myself and other listeners of the show about some of your thoughts on the content we discussed each week. Speaking of content, time to get into the meat and potatoes of Football Nation today, episode number 10, Training Camp Preview Edition. I am excited. 
You better be too. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Football Nation Today podcast as we begin our first down segment where we look at the biggest on-field story of the week. And this week, of course, and really into early next week, the biggest NFL story on the field is NFL training camps beginning across the country. And to help us break all of that down, we welcome on FootballNation.com contributor Jeff Sperber. You can also, of course, find a lot of his other stuff online at JeffSperber.com. Jeff, how are you? Welcome back I'm to good, the show. Alex. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. As I mentioned to you off air, Jeff, this is your second appearance. You're now a leader in appearances on the show. Big honor, huh? I have a, uh, a board on my wall where I have my appearances list, and I will put a little check mark next to this one. <laughs> All right. That's, we love to hear <laughs> that. Bring it on Jeff Sperber. Very well read on footballnation.com. Now, Jeff, of course, you created an NFL super chart this week. You've been doing divisional super charts all off season. This week, though, it's the NFL super chart. Your Super Bowl matchup. Intriguing to me. Pittsburgh versus Philadelphia with Philadelphia winning. So you think the Eagles are going to bounce back. Why? I do. Well, I mean, if you remember, the Eagles finished last season so strong. And they finished 8-8, eight eight, but they were doing so well there at the end. And they came just short of even making the playoffs. And I think when that team is healthy, if Vic can stay healthy and they play to their full potential, that, that could be a really good team. And the defense is going to be better. And I think it's a team to watch out for this year. Wow. So you really think it's <laughs> a lot of defensive improvement in Philadelphia, improvement on the lines, which is where they really struggled last season. I do think so. And like I said, I think that even last year, that that was a team that underperformed. And I think that they sort of they didn't live up to the hype. They sort of had one of those situations where they were so overhyped mm. in, the, um, in the preseason last year. And that's really not happening this year. Like, whenever I say the Eagles, people are like, oh, the dream team, like the Eagles, like all this stuff. And then it's like, no, that was last year. This year they're the, uh, like the little ugly stepsister of the Giants. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of ugly, Andy Reid. You think he's going to do it this year then, Jeff? <laughs> I mean, he better hope so. <laughs> so what are your opinions overall on Andy Reid as NFL head coach, as, as a head coach then? Well, sorry, what was that? I said, what are your opinions then as Andy Reid as an NFL head coach? Because you know, of course, the opinions on him vary, and especially after last season. I mean, I guess mixed. I think that this season will tell a lot. I think if the Eagles go out there and they are really competitive and they can do really well and go far in the playoffs, see, I guess it's, it's tough to sort of judge Andy Reid because he's taken the Eagles far so many times. And, I don't know, he's sort of one of those coaches where is he ever going to really win it? I think this is maybe one of his last, if not his last shot. Hmm. He's, got, he's got a good team on his hands. I think he can do it. I mean, we'll see what happens. going to pepper you now, Jeff, with some rapid fire. Conversely, you have the Super Bowl champion Giants at 8-8, eight and eight, missing the playoffs entirely. They did lose Mario Manningham and Jake Ballard offensively, but Eli Manning seems to be an elite QB now. The running game has to be better than what it was last season with Coughlin. The secondary, you can say, should be better with a healthy Prince uh, Emekamara, or however you pronounce it. Good player. Um, we know about the pass rush there, which is still elite. Why are you not buying into the G-men? Well, I mean, when I look at the Giants, I see a team that was, they were a 9-7 and team last year. People forget they that. Were. They weren't dominant the whole year. They were a 9-7 and team, and they got hot 
and a little bit lucky. You always have to get a little bit lucky at the playoffs. They got hot though at the very at the perfect time, sort of like they did in the past. And I think the Giants are a very good team, but I don't think they're a great team. And when I look at that schedule, the schedule is just brutal. And I think that when people sort of think, "Oh, the Giants are eight and eight, he must just not like the Giants," but I look at the schedule on a game by game basis, and I sort of make like general predictions, and that's sort of how I come up with the record. And if you look at their schedule, because they play the AFC North, which is very good. Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, all should be pretty good. And then they play the NFC South, so you've got the Saints, which should still be pretty good. The Falcons, the Panthers are pretty good. And then they're also going to play the other first-place finishers in the NFC, so they'll play the Packers and the 49ers. And when you just like look down the line on a game-by-game thing, like their schedule is just brutal. It really is. And I also think, like, I'm picking the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, so obviously I think the Eagles are going to be pretty good, too. So... When you consider that, that's what just that's why I have them at eight and eight. I mean, right, I'm just looking at their schedule. I'm looking at their schedule right here, and like the last four games, even are Saints at Falcons at Ravens Eagles. So it's not an easy road for them. No, not at all, Jeff. And you're right. I mean, last year the Giants had a mediocre regular season. They were talking about really firing Coughlin in some circles. Yeah, they really were at the beginning. I mean, I uh, I live in New York, so Coughlin is so much depending on how the Giants are doing at that moment. They either love him or they hate him. The back cover of the post is like, fire Cobbler. It's like he's <laughs> a genius. It's really, he's either the best coach in the NFL or they want him out of the city. It's pretty funny. Let's go to a city a bit more mellow, brah. San Francisco, the Niners. You have them at 9-7 and seven and losing in the first round. Another team, Jeff, made it to the NFC title game last season. Still have an elite defensive unit. I love Patrick Willis at linebacker, one of my favorite players in the league. I just how, loved how hard the 49ers hit in their postseason games last year, but you have them at 9-7. and seven. Is it because I'm assuming you don't think Alex Smith is the guy there long term? I really, I really don't. I mean, it's one of those things where how far and how long can you really maintain being pretty good with the, not, a, not a great quarterback. And also, I mean, Frank Gore is one of those guys where he's going to get he's gonna get hurt and then he's going to step Brandon Jacobs. I mean, I don't know. I just think they're like, they, were, they have an elite defense. Don't get me wrong there. They have an elite defense. But I don't think they're going to be quite as good this year. I really don't. You talked about the Saints earlier, Jeff. I was surprised that you have them at 8-8. Eight and eight. And thus, not a disastrous season for them. Many are envisioning, you know, a pretty bad year for New Orleans. So you don't. So I mean, obviously, you think they'll regress from recent years, eight and eight, missing the postseason. Oh, yeah. But you don't think it will be a disaster there? Why? Well, I think eight and eight for them would be a disaster. Oh, really? The way that they're. Oh, yeah. I think the way that their fans would view it. I mean, what were they last year? Were they like thirteen and three or they something? Were. I know they had a really. I know they, they had a really Vilma, good. I mean, they lost Sean Payton. I mean, I think eight and eight would be a small moral victory for them. At least it'd be respectable. Yeah, I mean, it's respectable. I just think for that team, they have their, like, even with the whole thing with Sean Payton, they still have Drew Brees, and I think True. Drew Brees really, he is that team maybe as much as, see, the, the problem is there is that you've got a head coach in Sean Payton who really was one of the elite NFL head coaches. You've got some head coaches where they can sort of go away and the team can still be pretty good because they've got that elite player like Drew Brees. Sean Payton, though, I mean, I do think, I mean, I give them, Five games, five games back. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I don't think eight and eight is good for them. It would be rare too. You're right, Jeff, because I, I, I've done this several times on the show already this off season. I looked at the elite quarterbacks in the NFL last season, 
every single one of them made the playoffs because it's such a passing league now. It is yeah. incredibly rare for an elite quarterback to miss out on the postseason. So I guess if I look at it from your perspective, you're right. Drees is one of the top three QBs in the league. Him missing the playoffs, yeah. I guess, would be considered a big disappointment in, in, a lot of, in, in, a, in a lot of circles when you put it that way. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, their schedule is like sort of an average type schedule. I know that. But like I said, I just, it's one of those years for them where it's just going to be sort of a lost year, I think. Not an awful year. I think maybe the following year, Champagne comes back, their defense will sort of be back on track. I think they'll be able to sort of pick it back up again. They still have a good team. It's just one of those things where just this whole sort of thing with the bounties just sort of killed that team for the season, I think. You've turned my thoughts on the Saints, Jeff. But you're not going to turn me here, okay? <laughs> the Patriots are loaded, and I am personally offended, Jeff, that you didn't pick them to go 19-0 and and win the Super Bowl. Why? <laughs> Where do I have them going? I have them going pretty good, don't I? Not 19-0 and, and not winning the Super Bowl. Not good enough. Not 19-0 and not winning the Super Bowl? I say that half time. I don't know. It's one of those things. I really think they are loaded. I love – they are loaded. They're a loaded team. Um, the thing with the AFC is it's sort of a weird situation because I feel like – in the NFC, you've got a few really good teams. And then in the AFC, there's sort of a bunch of teams. You sort of got like the Patriots and the Texans, in my mind, yep. as sort of the top two teams. And then you've got a few teams like the Steelers, the Ravens, the Bengals, even teams like the Jets and the Bills, where they still have a shot in a conference that's not super strong. So, I don't know. I mean, I think the Patriots haven't won 13-3. and three. I think they're a really good team. But then it's also one of those things where you get to the playoffs, and as we've seen time and time again, the playoffs, you don't know what's going to happen, especially in recent years. It used to be, oh, you had to be a one or two seed to do it. And now it's sort of like it's consistently these wild card teams are making the Super Bowl. Giants just won it. I mean, they, were, they didn't have a great record. They, were, they didn't get the bye. So it's sort of, I think, not as important as it once was to have a great regular season record. And while I think the Patriots will be very good, they definitely are still beatable. How are they beatable? Do you think they're very beatable on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I still think I think the defense will be improved. I really do. I don't think their schedule is so easy too. I think that almost could work against them in a sense because I think when you play, I think they have the easy schedule in the league. I'm pretty sure, and I think when that happens to you, they could almost get complacent, and I don't think they're going to have a tough time. Like they should lock up a bye fairly quickly. I don't know, but they could definitely be beat by a team like the Texans who have a very good defense also, a better defense, and uh, probably the 49ers, I think. And then you've also got, like, like I think like a lot of the defensive teams, like the Steelers, maybe the Ravens, like there's some pretty tough teams in the AFC. They're probably tougher than the Patriots, I think. Right. And I think have a shot. And I think it comes down to, like, the fact that you're going to have to score points to beat the Patriots, a lot of points which is why teams like the Jets are never going to do it, or even the Bengals, their offense isn't great. But a team like, I don't know, like maybe if Ray Rice does, they almost did it last year. If Ray Rice has a great game, let's say, the Ravens could do it. Or if Big Ben steps up against that defense and he's going to uh, Wallace and stuff like that, they could be beat. We'll see what happens. I mean, Jeff, from someone it's also It's also no fun. It's no fun if for the Super Bowl pick I go, oh, Patriots, Packers. That's a boring pick. <laughs> Live and up so we're talking with Jeff Sperber, Football Nation contributor. And Jeff, you know, as someone like me who's followed the Patriots, reg you know, every game over the past over the past several years now, uh, their key weakness, and it still is a wait and see, is 
their defense was better last year in the playoffs, but statistically one of the worst in the league. And the big Achilles heel for them was didn't have those playmakers on that side of the ball who could get that big sack, make that big interception. We'll see what happens there. I want to talk to you, though, Jeff, about the Jets. You do have them in the playoffs this year. What's your outlook on the New York season? I mean, honestly, I think the Jets right now are a huge question mark. And even as somebody who closely follows the Jets, like, to a T, I really have no idea how they're going to do this year. I mean, it's a make-or-break year for Rex Ryan. This is pretty much the final – we'll see the, the final verdict on Sanchez. Obviously, he's going to be here another year after this. But this is, like, the year for those guys where we're going to see what they're all about. I really have no idea how they're going to do. Um the whole Tebow experiment, I don't know if it's going to work. Um, the Wildcat stuff, I think a big problem with the Jets, it's funny, I think one of the biggest problems is the running back position because they want to be this smash-mouth, round-and-pound team, and that's all good and well if you have a good running back. <laughs> and uh, it's true. I mean, I honestly don't think that Sanchez is that bad. Like, he takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of heat because he's not a great quarterback or a very good quarterback. But he's okay, and if you want to have the style of, of play where you're going to be running it at them, he's, he's okay. He's fine for that. But when you've got Sean Green out there, and he's just running straight into the defense every time for two yards plotting away, and your backup is Joe McKnight, I don't see how you're going to be able to be a ground-and-pound team. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So you have the Jets, though. You have something breaking right for them, them making the playoffs. You, of course, have the Pittsburgh team not only making the playoffs, but reaching the Super Bowl. So, you know, some thought the Pittsburgh defense looked a little bit older last season. They are old. They did look older. They are old. (laughs) Well, they are old, but they, to you, though, you think they're going to play young this year. What's your outlook on Pittsburgh and that defense and the team as a whole? Yeah, I think Pittsburgh will be pretty good this year. Like I said, they're one of those teams in the AFC that, very much in the mix that has a, a pretty good shot. And they've been good, like, for the past few years. So they sort of know how to do it. Sort of like the Patriots, except <laughs> except the Patriots, not really recently. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> hey, now, yeah, I'm a Jets fan. I should be quiet. But, uh, <laughs> but the, um, the Steelers, I like Big Ben a lot. I think he's vastly underrated as a quarterback. People give him props, but they don't realize how good that guy really is. Um, I actually like Isaac Redman a lot at the running back position. I think he's much better than Mendenhall. I think he's going to be starting. I think he'll do pretty good. I think their defense, sort of like you said, like they're getting old, but that makes it sort of a, oh, it's the last hurrah type thing. And they sort of had not a dynasty at all, but they've won two in the past few years. If they won, if they win a third, I mean, then there's something to talk about. But if they don't, let's say they do nothing this year, then maybe they are a team that, oh, they're getting old, they're sort of falling out of it, and we can sort of see a changing of the guard in the uh, AFC North. Bengals will be pretty happy about that in the race. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yep, you're right, Jeff. I think you can frame this as a final stand for the Pittsburgh defense, just as many framed it as a final stand for that Baltimore team and guys like Ed Reed and Ray Lewis last season. Again, we're talking with Jeff Sperber, footballnation.com contributor here in Football Nation today. Final few questions, Jeff. Uh, The Texans, I agree with you here. I look at the AFC South. I think it's a relatively weak division. I look at Houston's up-and-coming defense. I look at Schaub, Andre Johnson, Arian Foster, and I say the Texans could really take the reins for the next half decade in the AFC South. Do you see it similarly? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, that's 
if, if you're going to look at the AFC, there's a team that could take a really big leap forward this year because you look at the team last year, and they were 10-6, and six, and they had like a million injuries. Their best wide receiver, best running back, and best quarterback were all hurt throughout the year on and off. So if everybody stay partially healthy, I mean, that's a team with a, a really, really good defense. I don't think losing Mario Williams is even that big of a deal. And they have a really good defense, and they also have a really good offense. And they're going to be just tough to stop. I mean, they could easily sweep the AFC South, and their schedule is not super hard this year, but they'll be good for years to come. It would not surprise me if they're one of the, uh, the new sort of big teams in the AFC. What kind of training camp does Peyton Manning have in Denver? I don't know. I don't like all this Peyton Manning stuff. Like, people are so, uh, at least I think people are so excited about how seeing how Peyton is going to do and how the Broncos are going to do. And I've actually taken a lot of flack about having uh, the Broncos not making the playoffs and being 8-8 eight and eight again, just like they were with Tebow. And people say, oh, well, don't you think Manning is a step above Tebow? And <laughs> truth it is, I do. I definitely do. The problem is, is that the Broncos were 8-8 eight and eight last year, but they weren't even an 8-8 eight and eight team. They're a 5-11 and 11 team that got super, super lucky. A lot of breaks. A yeah. lot. Better to be lucky a than lot. good. The Broncos lived up to that last Better, year. Yeah, I guess so. And then this year, their schedule is also super, super hard. So when you factor in those two things, I think that they're going to be better. I think Peyton Manning is going to have a pretty good year. But that schedule is so tough, and I don't think the Broncos are really even that good a team. So I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. The AFC West is one of those divisions right now where there really isn't a strong, a super strong team. You could sort of pick any of those teams to win the division, and you wouldn't be a crazy person, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think I have the Chiefs because – I like the guy. I like Eric Berry a lot. I like Jamal Charles coming back from injury. I mean, I think they're going to be a good team. But you could say you could make an argument for the Chargers or the Broncos or even the Raiders if you really tried hard. <laughs> Jeff Sperber, man of the super charts on FootballNation.com. Also check out his variety of work at JeffSperber.com. Jeff, thanks for stopping by the show. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Big thanks go out again to Jeff Sperber, contributor to FootballNation.com, for joining me on the show, for rejoining me on the show, I should say. Jeff is quickly becoming one of our favorite guests here at Football Nation today, and we look forward to speaking with Jeff, even though he is a Jets fan, um, throughout, I'm sure, the duration of this training camp and, of course, the NFL season when it begins in less than 50 days at the beginning of September, which is both a good thing because football season is beginning, but also a bad thing because that means the summer is over. So still a little ways away, still close to 50 days. So let's not get too pumped yet, but it is start. It is that time of year to start recharging your NFL batteries. And that's what we will help you do here on Football Nation today, as I would hope we've helped you do all off season long. Uh, but today, of course, going right to our second down segment, talking about the biggest off-field NFL story or football story of the week. And this week, as I said in the opening, is the Penn State sanctions. Hopefully the last time for a long time. We will have to discuss Penn State here on this podcast. But I would be remiss but did not at least mention the um, sanctions that came down on the Nittany Lions football program this week by the NCAA. You will know the details by now. Penn State fined $60 million, which is roughly the equivalent of the amount of revenue their football program produces in a season. Uh, the loss of 10 scholarships per year for the next four years. A four-year bowl um, suspension. Five years of probation. And all of Joe Paterno's wins from 1998 
through 2011 have been vacated, meaning Paterno is now the 12th winningest coach of all time in college football history and no longer the most winning coach of all time in college football history. And frankly, I love that outcome. I love the fact that over the past four to five days, the paternal legacy has taken a massive hit with the statue coming down early Sunday morning to his wins from 98 through 2011 being vacated. I love the fact that the paternal legacy is now pretty much abolished or at least greatly diminished from what it once was, or from what it once was, uh, because you know how important that record was to Joe Paterno and the members of his family. That's really the only reason why Paterno showed up for work over the past decade, to capture that record. I mean, over the past several years, remember, Paterno was in his early 80s. He was still the head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions by title, but he was more head coach emeritus. You know, you had to believe that Paterno was not doing the grunt work that he once did do. You have to believe Paterno was delegating a lot of responsibility to assistant coaches, and you knew one of the main reasons, probably the main reason why Paterno stuck around, at least for the final several years of his coaching tenure, and I would say probably even the final decade or so of his head coaching tenure, was to get that... Uh, that record, you knew how important that was to Paterno and his family. And the fact that his wins from 98 through 2011 have been vacated and wiped off the official record books, in my opinion, does greatly tarnish his legacy. Now, people make snide comments when the NCAA does things like this. They do it all the time in basketball, of course. Whenever John Calipari leaves a program, they vacate the Final Four appearance because mass recruiting violations most certainly follow. Wherever Calipari is coached here in Massachusetts, the UMass program with Marcus Camby, of course, in the 1990s, went to the Final Four but really didn't go to the Final Four. It was wiped off the record book. So, you know, people say the NCAA can't erase history. We all saw it happen. We all saw Paterno accumulate the most wins in Division I football history. But if you look at the record books, the official record books, Paterno is now the 12th winningest coach of all time. That's what it says in writing now. And I think that's significant. And I also think it's significant that the Paterno statue has been taken down outside of Penn State. I feel over the past four to five days, the Joe Paterno legacy, both in Penn State history and in the entire history of men's Division I college football has taken a severe hit, a severe hit that I think was most certainly warranted. Um, as far as the actual penalty on the Penn State program, it is essentially, and I've heard others label this, and I think they're right, it is essentially a working death penalty. In fact, one could argue just wiping out the program for one or two years may have been easier to bounce back from than this, which is the loss of scholarships over four years, the four-year bowl, bowl ban, so effectively a four-year postseason ban, etc. I mean, listen to this. The next time a Penn State football team will be able to field a roster with 85 scholarship players, the typical limit of scholarship players on a big-time Division I roster, will be roughly eight years from now. So what does that mean the next big Penn State recruiting class will be? How about kids who are currently in the fourth grade? <laughs> so how's that per for perspective? I mean, the next time, if you put this thing out with, you know, 10 scholarships being taken away for the next four years, the next time Penn State will be able to realistically field a team with 80 to 85 scholarship players on its roster, like most big-time Division I football programs, 
will be eight years from now, i.e. kids who are in the fourth grade currently will be part of the next true big Penn State Nittany Lions scholarship recruiting class. So if you put it in that kind of perspective, it really does show you that the loss of 10 scholarships uh, over the next four years, 10 scholarships per year, is a major, major hit for the Penn State football program. So this is going to be incredibly hard to bounce back from. Some have even speculated that they're going to have trouble fielding a team with losing uh, 10 scholarships per season for the next four years, the four-year bowl ban as well. Any player worth a damn, if, they, if Penn State has the scholarship to offer that player, probably won't want to play there because, yes, they'll still be playing in the Big Ten. Yes, they'd still be playing on television on a weekly basis, whether it be on ESPN, the Big Ten Network, whatever. But... There will be zero chance at postseason play, zero chance of postseason glory, and arguably even more importantly than that, the team will be crap with losing 10 scholarships per year for the next four years. The depth on that team will be crap. I mean, can you imagine a quarterback going to Penn State over the next four years knowing that if even one significant injury occurs on his offensive line, he's going to be toast and just have a bunch of walk-ons on there? So the loss of 10 scholarships per year over the next four years, coupled with the four-year bowl ban, the five years probation, massive hit to the football program, that could realistically take eight to ten years to recover from. However... I still would have preferred to see the death penalty implemented because I think Happy Valley needed to endure a couple of Saturdays in October without college football. This, to me, was more about changing culture than necessarily punishing the football program. The Free Report even said this was a culture issue. That's why the Sand Sandusky was covered up for over a decade. Nobody reported it. It was a culture issue. And now, for the next four years, every Saturday, the Penn State Fanatic will have a forum to grieve and a forum to rally every Saturday. The tailgate parties will still be going on every Saturday morning in Happy Valley for the next four years, and they'll have almost a martyr-like tone to them. So, I really think this was more about changing the culture than necessarily punishing the football program. These sanctions are heavy, make no mistake about it, but they don't really do much in my estimation to change the culture of Penn State and around the football team. And you want to know, and here's the final argument to me as to why the death penalty um, is worse than what Penn State got. Penn State chose these penalties. The NCAA reportedly gave Penn State, gave new Penn State President Rob Erickson and the Board of Trustees a choice, saying either you accept these sanctions or if you don't and if you fight us on these, we'll then implement the death penalty. And what did Penn State choose to do? They chose to accept these sanctions in lieu of the death penalty. I think that tells you all you need to know about the death penalty, the severity of it, and how these sanctions, though brutal, especially on the football program, not quite as brutal as a death penalty would have been, not only on the football program, but I think even more importantly, and even more so, on the whole football culture around Penn State and the State University. Now quickly, Bill O'Brien took this job uh, several months ago, of course, with the knowledge that sanctions were probably going to come down against Penn State, and, you know, I, I think O'Brien accepted the job knowing that. I also think O'Brien had to realize an opening like the Penn State job was open to a guy like him with no prior head coaching experience, 
the most recent college football experience he had was as a coach at Duke. I think O'Brien had to realize and did realize a job like this was open to him only because of these impending sanctions. If Joe Paterno simply retired and Penn State didn't have these sanctions hanging over it, there's no way a guy like Billy O'Brien would have been offered this head coaching job. So O'Brien here thought like several months ago he was going to take advantage of the circumstance. He knew it was going to be bad. I'm not sure he knew how bad it was going to be, though. Um, as far as whether O'Brien will walk away... I don't think so. I haven't spoken to him personally about this, obviously. I can only go by what he said publicly. But publicly, Bill O'Brien has seemed pretty determined to sticking this thing out and trying to keep this program respectable over these four years and then hopefully turn it around beyond that. And it may sound silly to say this, but I really feel this is almost a no-lose scenario for Brian. I mean, make no, for O'Brien, make no mistake, there'll be a lot of losing going on in Happy Valley. They're going to get crushed by their Big Ten competition. Michigan, Wisconsin, those team, Ohio State, come on. Those teams are going to roll the Nittany Lions over for maybe close to the next decade. But everybody's expecting that. I mean, if O'Brien just keeps his program above water or even at sea level <laughs> over the next four years or so, I think that has to go down as a massive win for him. Now, once the sanctions are over, does O'Brien get fired as a total remake? Maybe. But if over the next four years he keeps Penn State relatively respectable, I'm not going to say competitive because I think that's impossible with these sanctions, playing in the Big Ten especially, but if he just keeps them relatively respectable and competent and appears to know what he's doing, I think he'll gain a lot of respect in the college football and NFL communities for sticking with that job and sticking it out. So, you know, I, I think O'Brien really has nowhere to go but up with the Penn State football program, which is why I do not feel he is going to relinquish this job. Heading into our third down segment, it's time for the Big Up Slowdown, where I'll say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with it by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Get it? Got it? Good. The Steelers extend head coach Mike Tomlin through the 2016 season. Is that a good move entering training camp? Big up or slow down? I say big up here. The Steelers have reached the playoffs in four of the past five years. Tomlin was the youngest NFL coach in history to win a Super Bowl in 2009, Steelers over Cardinals. I think Tomlin got, and Dick LeBeau as well, the Pittsburgh defensive coordinator, got wildly outcoached by the Denver Broncos coaching staff and John Fox in last year's postseason game against the Broncos. I don't see how they couldn't have guarded or defended against the Tim Tebow to Demarius Thomas pass in overtime. I mean, you had to know that was where Tebow was going to go. And in my opinion, the fact that they didn't have anybody on Thomas down the field just showed an utter disrespect for Tebow and his throwing abilities. And you saw the next week, Bill Belichick and the Patriots implemented a great game plan against Tebow, and he was sunk. So I really think... 
the Pittsburgh coaching staff, and I'm not just blaming Tomlin, I'm blaming Story D coordinator Dick LeBeau for that as well. I think the Pittsburgh coaching staff really kind of fell apart in their playoff game against Denver last season. But overall, I think it's a good move extending Tomlin through 2016. I think Mike Tomlin is very similar to his predecessor, Bill Cowher, who also, of course, won a Super Bowl after the 2005 season with Pittsburgh beating Seattle. Because like Cowher, I don't think Tomlin is the best X's and O's guy in the game. I think Tomlin's a rah-rah kind of guy. I think he's a terrific motivator. I think he knows how to handle his players well, which is especially important uh, for any coach in modern-day professional sports, as we know. Um, I, I, I think uh, extending Tomlin through 2016 is a testament to the stability of one of the more stable organizations, never mind the NFL, but all professional sports, the same ownership with the Rooney family, uh, really uh, the hallmark of stability, the Pittsburgh organization. They're poised for another deep playoff run this season. You heard my conversation with Jeff Sperber earlier in the show in our first down segment, so I really think there's no reason to make a head coaching change with the Steelers, and it's great to have stability when you can have it, so I say big up, good move for Pittsburgh to re-up Mike Tomlin for the 2016 season. Big up or slow down? We will see the first controversy on Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow by next week at this time in Jets camp. I say slow down. It's going to occur over the weekend. <laughs> I mean, Really, I, I hate to keep harping on this point. Actually, no, I don't. I love to keep harping on this point. Just the more I think about it, the more I think this is going to be a disaster type of situation for the New York Jets. I mean, I don't really see any way as to how Sanchez and Tebow can really coexist at the QB position. Because as I said last week, it remains a mystery to me as to why the Jets acquired Tebow. They didn't acquire him to just be a regular backup to Sanchez, because why waste a dynamic talent like that just sitting on the bench every play? And they obviously didn't acquire Tebow to overtake Sanchez as a starting quarterback. So why did they acquire Tebow? He is not a guy who can be a mentor to Sanchez, and he's not a guy who can learn from Sanchez either, because you can make the argument that Sanchez himself still needs a mentor entering his fourth full season in the NFL. So... You know, it remains a puzzling, puzzling move to me. Now, Rex Ryan, as of this recording, has not guaranteed any Super Bowl victories yet, although he has spoken about how confident he is with his new physique. Uh, but as I was saying with Jeff earlier in the show, this is a big, big year for the Jets because, you know, it's very difficult for me to, to predict what would be perceived as a successful Jets season. In a lot of NFL cities, even ones that experience a lot of success, like let's say Pittsburgh, who we just spoke about, you usually say a playoff season, a playoff round win, with the state of the NFL and all the parity these days, usually constitutes as a successful season. You know, not a great season, but it's a season where you're not going to have really anybody fired unless there's a monumental meltdown. With the Jets, though... Would Jets fans be happy with, let's say, a wild card berth, a first round playoff win, and then a second round divisional round playoff exit? Would Jets fans be happy with that? No, I don't think a lot of fans would necessarily be really happy with that, but would they even be content with that? Would they even be accepting of that? Or would they say, wait a minute, this team made the AFC title game for two consecutive years, missed the playoffs last year, 
Then they make the playoffs this year, bowed in the first round. This team is still going in the wrong direction from where they were two years ago. It's a very tough situation because of the early success Rex Ryan had as Jets coach. I mean, let's be real. Behind all the bluster, Ryan was an incredibly successful football coach for two years. He was better than Bill Belichick and the Patriots were for 2009 and 2010. He made it further in the playoffs than Belichick did in 2009 and 2010. The Patriots didn't win a single home playoff game in those, in those two years, whereas the Jets won four road playoff games in those two years. Years. So, you know, the Jets organization just a couple years ago really seemed to be rising to the next level. Then they have the bad year last year missing the playoffs. And then this year, the Patriots look stacked. Pittsburgh looks real good, as we discussed with Jeff. The Texans look like they're poised for a 12-13 win season, potentially. Broncos got a lot better with Manning. Chargers always have a lot of talent on that team. The Chiefs, some feel like Jeff feels are going to make a strong postseason run this year. The AFC after being down last year, is up again this year. And it's that much tougher for the Jets to compete. So it's going to be very interesting to see what will constitute a successful season in New York. And you wonder when the first Sanchez-Tebow QB controversy starts. I think it starts the first weekend a training camp when Sanchez throws his first uh, interception in practice. Speaking of training camp, big up or slow down. NFL training camp is more interesting than baseball spring training. I, of course, say this because I host my Red Sox podcast without a curse. Catch it on iTunes if you can or thesportstuff.com. Get that cross-promotion going if you want to hear me rant and rave about the Red Sox. Um, I say big up. It is. And I covered spring training for the full six, eight weeks of it, however the hell long it is. Uh, and let me tell you something, folks. It gets awfully monotonous. I mean, there is really nothing interesting in spring training besides the first week when players show up and speak to the media, in some cases, for the first time all winter long. And even that isn't interesting. It's just a platitude of cliché. It's just a it's just a plate of platitudes, if you will. There, that's the um, that's what I was going for. There, a plate of platitudes. If you catch my drift. Uh, just, oh, just, oh, it is monotonous baseball spring training, whereas NFL training camp is more interesting, because in the NFL with no guaranteed contracts, no job is theoretically safe. No, I think that's a big problem with the NFL, and I would love to see the players get that security that players in other leagues like Major League Baseball enjoy, but from a fan's perspective, the non-guaranteed contracts is really what makes training camp worth watching, because there is that week in August where the surprise cuts come out, and we all wait on that. There's no other sport like that. Um, I think the training camp preseason games get monotonous. I think game three is interesting, of course, when the starters play, but... I would be in favor of limiting that preseason schedule. I think it's a terrible bore. The owners will never do it. If they add on the 18 games, you know, I mean, I, they might do it, but the owners will never subtract the four games while keeping the 16 regular season games because, of course, they have to charge the season ticket holders full-priced money for those games, which is probably something we'll rant about once August rolls around and training camp begins in a, and training camp games begin in a couple of weeks. That's always a sour spot of mine. Um, so training camp is monotonous, no doubt about it, but there are more storylines due to the non-guaranteed contracts, and uh, NFL is the most popular sport in the country right now, obviously, so I say big up. It is more interesting, if just slightly more interesting, than MLB spring training. Pretty long show today, closing it out quickly in our fourth down segment. It is the Reamer rant where we're talking about the 31 NFL players 
who were arrested over the offseason, 19 of those 31 arrests were either related to a DUI or marijuana possession. What does that mean? It means that most of these NFL players who get in trouble with the law over the offseason, especially in late June and most of July, when there are no mini camps, no training camp, just a month or so of free time, it means that a lot of these NFL players aren't malicious. They're just stupid. Marijuana possession, driving while intoxicated, operating while under the influence— doesn't mean they're malicious, horrible people. It just means they're stupid people who make really stupid mistakes. And unfortunately, in multiple cases, make these stupid mistakes more than once. Now, the team, by the way, with the most arrests, the Detroit Lions with the most arrests of any NFL team this offseason. And why do these arrests occur? Well, I think they occur for a number of reasons. And I'm not making excuses for these players. But as I said last week on the show, when briefly talking about Marshawn Lynch's arrest and Des Bryant's arrest, of course, was arrested for assault last week after suspicions that he beat his mother. His mom, by the way, Angela, has since withdrawn her allegations. But you want to know how old Des Bryant's mom was when she had him? She was 14 when she had Des Bryant. 14 years old, if you can believe that. I mean, you cannot tell me that Des Bryant came from a strong, regular, if you will, background. You, you just can't tell me that. I mean, you can't tell me that Des Bryant grew up in a positive situation. Not making excuses for these players. They are adults and thus responsible for their own actions, but I am saying a lot of these actions shouldn't be surprising. A lot of these players come from relatively poor backgrounds. A lot of these players, like Des Bryant, come from less than, um, less than ideal family situations, to say the very least. Um, a lot of these NFL players, yes, they do go to college, but they only go to college name only. Many of them don't graduate. They go to play football, still remain with their childlong friends, still have friends and family members leeching off them. They get trapped at the NFL. The friends and family continue to leech off them. And it's a tough spell to break. I mean, even the most quiet guys like Marvin Harrison still seem to have those ties from their youth that they can't get rid of. And I'm not blaming Players for maintaining ties to family members and friends from their youth. Those are people who have been you throughout, been with them throughout their entire lives. I'm not expecting them to just drop family and friends, but it's a very tough situation. And the NFL, in a lot of cases, does all they can to educate these players. And most of the players stay out of trouble. There are well over a thousand players in the league, close to 1,500 players on active NFL rosters per season, and only 31 of them get arrested in this offseason. That wasn't high total. So. Most of these players, the overwhelming majority percentage of these players, stay out of trouble. And the fact is, you just hear more about NFL arrests and even NBA arrests because there are far more NFL players than NBA players. And you don't hear as much about MLB players or NHL players in the offseason because a lot of MLB players live out of the country. Same with NHL players. The laws may be different there. We may not hear about what, what, what goes on outside of our borders necessarily. So... The NFL, there are more players there than other sports. Uh, pretty much every NFL player lives inside the United States, so we hear about everything. We know about the laws, which in a lot of cases, especially in terms of marijuana possession, for example, far stricter laws here than there are in other areas of the country, no, other areas of the world. Um, so it's, it's multiple things contribute to this bad cycle, but it most certainly is a bad cycle and continues to give Roger Goodell in the NFL – a pretty bad image in the eyes of some. It's not affecting the bottom line. It's not affecting the business. Next week at this time, we won't be talking about it. But 
I'm sure Raj Goodell and the NFL executives would love to live in a world where we don't end July by recapping the 30-plus arrests that occurred over the NFL offseason. So that's it for another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Freemer. Thanks for tuning in to us. As always, show participation. We love it. Post on our comment thread uh, on the footballnation.com website. You can leave a comment under each show page. Email me, areamer at bu.edu. And as always, feel free to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. Did you notice I recorded this edition of Football Nation Today with a new microphone? Very exciting for me. That's how cool I am. So long, everybody. Enjoy your week. Enjoy training camps opening across the NFL over the next several days into early next week. And we'll talk to you next with um, with what I'm sure will be some early training camp storylines next Wednesday for episode number 11 of Football Nation today. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the start of training camp. Talk to you next Wednesday with what I'm sure will be countless interesting training camp storylines. <laughs>